it's always fun to talk about science with people so for sure for sure yes definitely um yeah you're when we saw your instagram we were very inspired and um interested in the things that you were posting and we definitely wanted to hear a little bit more about that so thank you for taking your time and doing weird time zone things yeah i'm sorry that it's i guess it's quite early for you is it i guess i mean it's 9 a.m and we're we're students and workers so we really we really shouldn't be complaining it it shouldn't phase us but it always phases us (laughs) i think 9 a.m is very early so yeah i think that's (laughs) you guys shouldn't have to be up right now i'm sorry about that (laughs) already all right, everyone. Thank you for coming to the podcast again. Uh, I always get a little laugh when I when we say coming to the podcast because, yeah, you probably were where you were when you started listening to the podcast. Um, so this is our episode random generate number because we don't know anymore. Um, and we have an excellent guest today that we're looking forward to getting to know a little bit better. Her name is Rose Waugh. And I am going to let her do a little bit more telling you about herself. But before we get into that, we have Totally Natural Banter. And the question of the day is, if life were a video game, what would some of the cheat codes be? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there are a a lot of cheat codes that I wish existed. Um, I wish there was like a cheat code so that I didn't have to feel tired when I first woke up, um, like a, an instant energy boost. Um, I don't know which, which cheat code would exist. I mean, have you got any inspiration for me? Some, something oh. to maybe have some ideas? I was just going to say, we do this thing where we like, we try not to think about the question beforehand so it can be natural, but then we are like... I don't know. But Haley, what were you going to say? I'm excited. Uh, uh, the first thing I can think of is like if you've played The Sims and you, there's like the main cheat code that everybody uses that like you just like, I forget what it is, but it just like gives you a millions of dollars or something like that at the beginning uh-huh. of your game. So you don't have to like go through the process of collecting money. I don't know if I necessarily would want that cheat code, but it is the first thing that comes to mind. I want to say that um, some of the cheat codes I I believe exist that I don't necessarily partake in are like knowing tax law. I know a lot of people who know tax laws can get better, I don't know, like deductibles or whatever you want to call it um, at tax time because they know the tax code so well. They employ their family members so they get all these deductions and yeah so that i think is something that i definitely don't know much about but i think there's a lot there's a lot there in tax law and yeah that's my big one i think interesting i really like the the um give you kind of like a strength one though like kind of make you not feel tired like ultimate Mm -hmm. strength cheat code that could be very useful do my homework for me cheat code um yeah <laughs> yep um, and some people would say chegg is a cheat code <laughs> we don't use that Zyra. we don't use chegg oh, sorry here. we don't say we don't we're say honest Chegg. students yeah i can't afford chegg so i definitely don't use chegg. <laughs> <laughs> good point good point rose do you guys use chegg in the uk or do you like are you familiar with it i have heard of it yeah um i definitely never used it i i <laughs> I don't know anyone that did, but I guess like you're not supposed to use it here. So people probably wouldn't own up to it <laughs> if they did. Right. It's like a so, secret society sure. of checkers. I, yeah. I tried to use check one time um, by using Haley's account because I didn't have my own. And then I accidentally locked her out of her account. So I learned my lesson. Of- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't use check anymore. So we- <laughs> you're welcome. We-, we don't really, we're not like... I mean, it's not, you know, not like you're supposed to use it because like, I mean, of course, like you're not supposed to use it on tests or, you know, anything like that. But for me, it's always been like a nice little like study help. So if I'm looking at like homework questions in like the textbook and I can, I can usually find those and it can help me study, um, as like a outside thing. 
but, but yeah, Mm -hmm. but maybe if my cheat code is just to like make a holographic professor that just like helps me on my homework, then maybe, maybe that would work too. So, (laughs) and like imagine how much information, like you would learn stuff so much quicker if you had like your own personal tutor that was free. Like, yes. Yeah. That would be so helpful. I think, Cheg, now, Haley, did you tell me they're going to do this thing where they start informing schools which students use their product? Mm. And I think that's a really bad <laughs> business idea for Cheg because I yeah. think it will deter students from using their product. <laughs> you go. No, you go. Okay. I'm Haley. And I'm Syra. We love learning, we love discovering. And we love talking. Are we experts on literally everything? Absolutely not. But how will we learn if we never start the conversation? So we hope you'll join us for this literal journey. All right. So yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. This is our first time podcasting overseas. So that's exciting. Um, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today we have on Rose Waugh, um, or astrophysicist Rose, as we like to think of her because of her Instagram username. Um, well, she is definitely a prominent woman in the world of STEM. Not only is she very busy being a PhD student, she also takes the time to educate people about astrophysics and encourage people in the world of STEM um, in general through her social media. Um, I saw in her bio, she was PhD student of the year in 2020. And so that's very exciting. Syra and I are so excited to learn more about her journey through her PhD, other awesome things she's done, uh, maybe some of the challenges that she's faced and just the motivation to do what she loves. Uh, So with that, uh, we'll give it away to Rose. Yeah. So that was a very flattering introduction. So thank you. (laughs) Um, I... Yeah, I guess I'm in my final year now of my PhD um, at the University of St Andrews uh, in Scotland. So um, most of the time, like my scientific research focuses around modeling stars that are like our sun, but they're a lot younger. So I guess they're kind of like the sun as a baby um, and what it might have been like. Um, But yeah, I do a lot of outreach things, especially um, on Instagram, like you mentioned. So I like to make cartoons, so I do a lot of cartoons of astro-related things. Hopefully, to I feel like art is something that people um, aren't scared off by as much. So if you take like a physics concept and you put it into an art of some form, people tend to respond quite well to it. And I think if you mention the word physics, people kind of back off like oh I didn't understand that uh, or like I didn't get maths at school and um they kind of put up a, a wall to to kind of they like they think immediately they're not going to understand something whereas expressing it more in an art I think people come at it with a slightly different um yeah d- just a slightly different way and they find it a bit more approachable so hopefully uh, that's what I hope to achieve to to get people to to think about things um, without feeling so scared about them. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I've also become a mom during my PhD. So I um, I guess that's another part of my life. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything in particular you want to ask. But <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, uh, don't worry. We so many things we want to ask you. <laughs> Hopefully not too many. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us, um, first of all. And Haley, did you want to take it away with our first questions? Yeah, um, I wanted to ask like kind of like a mini question. So, so you, you just talked about like uh, what you try to achieve doing art. What brought you to do that art and what brought you to, to broadcast that through social media? Yeah, so I guess I'm not really like an artist in, in any sense, you know, like I've always uh, in my life been much more down the science route, even even as a kid, really. I did used to like to draw and things um, like every kid does, but I I didn't, it wasn't something that kind of stuck with me, if you know what I mean, as I got older. So I kind of rediscovered it during my PhD because I learned, I basically, I learned during my undergrad that 
whilst I'd always thought of science being very separate to art, there is quite a lot of overlap. And I often have to draw little cartoons for myself when I'm trying to understand things and trying to picture what's going on um, in my research. And I realized that actually that was something that whilst people might not understand everything else on the page that I'd written down, they would at least understand probably the little picture that I'd drawn. Um, and I guess I kind of, I don't know, I just kind of clicked that it seemed like a sensible thing to do really. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely not like a very artistic person in general. So I draw everything on my iPad and it, it hides a lot of the kind of, not mistakes, but like if I were to draw it by hand, it definitely would look a lot I don't worse like it would it would look a lot it wouldn't look as good at all whereas I find that like digital art is a lot more forgiving to mm. um to to hiding someone who isn't necessarily uh, a very skilled artist if you know what I mean so um yeah and I guess since I was making them on my iPad I kind of figured well I might as well put them on Instagram there you know um I don't know. So that was that was kind of it was kind of an accident, and um, I just kind of thought it wouldn't be that popular, I suppose. But it seems to have taken off to a certain extent. So, yeah, definitely, that's awesome. And I think that goes to prove that just because, like, the only form of art is not just putting pen or pencil to paper. You know what you're doing? I think is absolutely art, and just the same way that you know we have all these like musicians now who are using softwares and things like that and they they still pump out a product that people like and people want and so I think you're very much an artist and people want to see your content and your Instagram is proof of that thank you that's very kind (laughs) and it's learning art we're also learning through it so I think that's even you know you got another edge to it so that's awesome right exactly so are you Scottish we were trying to figure out where you're actually from (laughs) <laughs> is it because I don't sound <laughs> no you don't but it also says UK Rose I think different places or maybe in your email and so we were like okay UK but where yeah so we were wondering and if you like identify as like being or growing up from different places too can we hear a little bit about that journey oh for sure so I um I was born in England and I stayed there until I was about eight. So that's probably why I don't have a very Scottish accent. Um, there are definitely some things that I say that uh, I think are a bit more Scottish than, than English. And I think people, probably people from the UK can hear both sides. But I, um, yeah, I guess I, because I kind of grew up as a young kid in England, it's probably skewed my accent. Then I moved to Scotland. So I have been in Scotland since then. Um, I did my undergrad in Scotland as well. So actually, I did my undergrad in the same place that I'm doing my PhD. So I (laughs) haven't moved very far. Um, So, yeah, um, I guess I I kind of identify more with Scottish these days um, than uh, I guess I used to kind of feel more English when I was younger because um, I kind of felt, I don't know. So the UK is a, is a strange place. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's it's got a strange relationship between the different countries in it. And um, yeah, there there is some kind of segregation there. So I, I felt very much English when I was younger because I didn't quite feel like I kind of fitted in and I felt like my accent really made me stand out from everyone at school and things like that but as time has gone on I I feel like this is where I've spent most of my life and actually politically I align a lot more with um with the, the country in Scotland than I do with with England which kind of dominates the UK government so I guess I do identify as Scottish, but I don't think necessarily everyone would describe me as Scottish. Um. (laughs) It does. And it's interesting, too, um, to find out. I think it's like both comforting and disappointing to hear that overseas and all over different parts of the world that people find ways to like segregate, you know, and Mm -hmm. like 
be be different or make others feel so different um and really i mean from an outsider perspective the cultures are so much alike but from an insider's Mm -hmm. perspective you have all these things that identify you i guess as being scottish or english or welch or what's the other one Irish, Irish. <laughs> like what's the other one? Um, That's yeah, a difficult but, one. Don't email with that one. <laughs> I feel like Welsh is the one that people forget, not Irish. So I don't know why <laughs> I forgot that one. But yeah, so but those you know those things are enough to um, separate or feel better than or feel worse than. And so again, yeah, it's a very comforting thing to know that it's not just the U.S. or um, the Caribbean where I'm from, but. Um, it's also disappointing to see that human beings. That's just a route that we choose no matter where we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is very unfortunate. I, I agree. Let's talk about your PhD, if you don't mind. Um, I know that is probably like a crazy, a crazy way of phrasing that question because I bet there's so <laughs> many things that encompass your PhD. Um, and feel free to like only give us what you can muster up the strength to give us because I bet it's very extensive. But yeah, um, I was looking kind of like on your Instagram about like some of your different research and I saw um, stellar clouds, stellar wind, stuff like that. I have no idea what any of it means and I would love for you to share. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So um, I guess um, most of my research is like theoretical um, and kind of simulations and, and modeling of things. So I guess, first of all, uh, I don't spend a lot of time looking down telescopes or anything like that. I always feel the need to put this um, out there from the beginning because it's amazing um, how much the public perception is that someone who you know is an astronomer or an astrophysicist, they uh, spend their time at a telescope and they collect a lot of data and, you know, Um, all this kind of thing and that's very much not what I do at all I have never been anywhere near a telescope for work purposes (laughs) so (laughs) uh, for fun yeah but not not for work so mostly um, I do a lot of kind of modeling of things and particularly I spend a lot of time thinking about um, these stellar clouds that you're talking about so the fancy name um, for them is prominences and uh, I mention it because we do have them on the sun. So people that are kind of a fan of like um, astronomy and, and uh, the sun might have heard of them. Um, and yeah, they're essentially just clouds of of hydrogen, which is what stars are made of um, in the atmosphere of, st- of stars. So they are essentially clouds. And um they uh, they exist on the sun, like I said, but they also exist on lots of other stars. So the sun isn't special for having them. Um, but on some stars, uh, like the sun, but that are a lot younger, the stars rotate really, really quickly. So the sun, you know, it'll do a full rotation in about a month. Whereas if you were to take the sun and kind of go back in its lifetime to when it was a lot younger, it could rotate all the way around in about half a day, which is a lot quicker, obviously. Um, And stars that do this, they tend to form prominences or clouds that are a lot bigger, you know, like a hundred times the mass that they are on the sun. And they tend to be really, really far away from from the surface of the star as well. Um, So on the sun, they're probably, you know, about, I guess you work in kilometers, right? So like a thousand kilometers above the surface on the sun. Um, And on young stars or young suns, they they can be multiple stellar radii above the surface. Um, So I guess in astro, often we work in weird units. So like a stellar radius is kind of what, uh, what you think it is, it is the radius of the star. And that is a, is a, measurement of distance that is used um so they're a lot further out as well and so I spend a lot of time modeling why this would happen and uh whereabouts they would form as well so they're quite interesting things because they can tell us a lot about 
the magnetic field of the star, um, which is important for keeping the star together. And it also tells us a lot about how active the star is. And, um, you know, they can be ejected in the form of, you might have heard of CMEs, coronal mass ejections. Um, again, you might you might not have, but you might have. So <laughs> they exist on the sun. Um, and yeah, prominences can be thrown out of the star if they're, if they become unstable. And that's fine. But if you are in a, on a planet that's orbiting around that star and you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, then it could collide with you. Um, and long term, that's not going to be very good for your planet. So um, you could lose like the atmosphere of your planet and things like that. So they, they're kind of interesting for um, a couple of reasons, I guess. If you are interested in how stars change as they get older, um, they're quite interesting. And if you are interested in um, like the habitability of exoplanets, then they have consequences for that as well. So, so okay, if you don't spend time with telescopes and collecting data, then what are you doing on like a day-to-day basis or your overall goal? Mm-hmm. So um, I do occasionally use data that has been collected by other people, not by me. <laughs> um, but mostly I do a lot of um, mathematical modeling. So I come from like a more of a theoretical physics background. So I took quite a lot of maths classes um, during my undergrad alongside physics. And I didn't do very much like lab work and things like that. So my day-to-day work is more, I, I see a lot of maths equations um, and try to, to solve them. Um, so it's more like prediction based um, rather than so I guess it's kind of not exclusively because they are used interchangeably, but it's kind of like the difference between astronomy and astrophysics, where astronomy can be more like observing data and collecting data and looking at something and then kind of wondering why or trying to explain what you've seen. Whereas I approach it more kind of from what I think of as like an astrophysics side, which is more like, um how might we be able to um like what model could i make that would produce a similar result to the the observations and what insight can i get from that model so i kind of take like basic physics concepts and i say okay so um where where would this get me would this get me a similar result to what is observed and if the answer is no then i'm my understanding is probably wrong in some way. But if the answer is yes, then that then tells me, okay, what I have, the model that I've made probably tells me like that is what is going on. Because when you observe things, you don't really know why, like you don't know the physics, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I, I use a lot of maths equations and I also spend some time sadly doing, um, computer coding so I'm not a very proficient coder (laughs) um there are lots of people out there that are very good at coding and I am not one of them um but I I have a kind of a basic understanding of it I have enough of an understanding to uh get by so I don't create like very big fancy codes um but I do use so you might have heard of Mathematica if you're someone who's kind of um maths or engineering based um it's kind of a high level programming language um so i kind of i use that a lot of the time um but there are uh, a lot of people in my groups that use python which probably a lot more people have heard of so yeah i've definitely heard of that one more i mean i don't really know too much about what that one is either specifically but yeah i've definitely heard of python um i love uh I love having you kind of divide that difference between astronomy and astrophysics. Cause I guess like, I guess like maybe it's kind of self-explanatory. I think that it helps like for our listeners to kind of hear that clear, like maybe separation between the two. Um, obviously one using more physics and, and background information than the other maybe, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's very like interesting to, to, to learn the difference. Cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, they're both like space things or something 
with rockets, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what most people think. Um, yeah. yeah. That is so. neat. Um, so you were talking about uh, using maths to predict things or model things. What are some things that you have predicted or modeled? Yeah, so um, one of my favorite things, I guess, is um, when I was, I, I created a, a model, I guess, for um, predicting where around stars you might, particular stars, you might find these stellar clouds. And one of my favorite things is this model where you prescribe uh, a magnetic field for the star. So the magnetic field probably everyone has heard of magnets and seen magnets in their life. Probably everyone has either done the ex experiment or seen the pictures of if you put some iron filings um, down around a magnet, then it will draw some funny shapes. Mm. And those funny shapes are, are field lines, magnetic field lines. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a way of telling you how strong the, the magnetic field is at certain points around around your magnet and so stars create a magnetic field and so in this model I say you know I, I think the magnetic field of my star looks like x so I use a dipole field for anyone who knows enough about about magnets um, and which is essentially like two lobes like the two loops which you, oh. you would see if you had yeah. a, a little magnet so I say, that's what my magnetic field looks like for my star. But then I say, okay, well, it looks like that until I get to a certain distance away from the star. And then after that, all my field lines kind of look, they just go straight outwards, like little spider legs. <laughs> they don't, they're not closed anymore. And the reason for this is because um, we, we know that that happens on stars and we know that because we observe these things called stellar winds, which maybe we'll come back to later. Um, and so I, you know, I put this together. I say, that's what my field looks like. And then I ask if I take one of my field lines and I make it really, really cold so that I can make a little cloud at the top, where would I be able to make those clouds? Like where would they form and where wouldn't they be able to form? And sometimes you can form them in the bit of the field that's pointing straight outwards, which is in the stellar wind. And this is not what people would expect because you, you need your magnetic field to be closed. So you need a loop, otherwise your cloud won't stay there. It'll like, mm. not, there's nothing to hold it in, right? So to be able to, to form a loop that is closed in an open field in your wind is weird but you can only do it because you've got one loop that's a lot colder than the rest mm. and I guess that's my favorite bit of modeling that I've done because it kind of doesn't make sense on the surface and um people wouldn't I guess a lot of uh people in the field I, I mean I built from work that had already existed so it's not like mm. a a massive um change of opinion or anything but it's it's nice to to do something where people kind of maybe wouldn't expect something to be possible and then to show well actually mathematically it is possible so that could be happening um that. That, that was kind of that was my favorite I think awesome that's very cool it's it's interesting to think of like these physics concepts and actually like know that you can apply them on a day-to-day -day basis like with your PhD because I think we we spend time like in physics labs doing and I know you said your calculations are theoretical but they help to probably implement things or build things later on for I mean they they actually help you continue that observation or pr making predictions about real things. And that's kind of nice to know that outside of your physics classroom, you can apply these things. So that was cool to hear. Yeah, I think, I think um, that's like a, something that people don't realize, you know, they think like you learn all these things in physics class and, and no one really uses them anymore. Like, like you're just learning kind of, 
I don't know, not like history, but like stuff that's already been done and it's not mm-hmm. relevant anymore. But that's definitely not true. I mean, like one of the equations I use on a day-to-day basis is force balance, which is essentially like Newtonian physics, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's essentially like F equals MA. <laughs> and that's like physics. And that's something that I use yeah. pretty much daily. So like it's... Um, it's really fun and I think it's like not a misconception but people often feel like they're learning stuff and it's not relevant and it's not used and that's actually not true so yeah well it's so interesting too like just like you play with magnets as a kid and then you know you're still using the same rules that apply to magnets like in a PhD in astrophysics So that to me is kind of cool. Like as a kid, I was never like, oh, these magnets can't go together. So now I'm going to be an astrophysics or I'm going to have an astrophysics degree. Um, I was just like, wow, that's something that happens, I guess, in our world. And so it's (laughs) it's cool to, I don't know, see it like applied and like still applied even as you get older and you learn more science and learn more physics. So that's awesome. That I mean, this is really cool stuff, what you're doing here. Um, I, there's a lot of about like our sun and other stars that I had no idea about. I I did not know actually that the, um, the stellar clouds, um, existed. So that, that was interesting to to hear about and, um, a little scary for those other planets that might lose their atmospheres, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah. What what would that, would that mean anything? Oh, sorry about that. No, it's fine. I was just going to say, thankfully, we're okay. So that's the main thing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that, to follow up on that question that we are okay, other planets losing their atmosphere, even though they're in the same orbit and like galaxy with us, if that, if that happened to, is, I guess what I'm trying to ask is their situation where um, a different planet in our Milky Way galaxy could lose their atmosphere and would that affect us somehow? So I guess we wouldn't be directly affected by the fact that they have lost their atmosphere. Um, I guess um, it's it's interesting because we might find these planets where that's the case and they might seem very similar to earth in many ways um you know they might have a star that's quite similar to the sun albeit maybe younger um and they might be in a similar orbit they might be you know the same distance from the star that we are from the sun and it raises questions about why that hasn't happened to us why have we been okay um I think, you know, these prominences won't be the only thing that would damage your atmosphere. So um, it's maybe not as, like, simple and clear-cut as, oh, it's definitely because of this. Um, There'll be lots of other things that would contribute as well. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And the more data that we have on that, uh, hopefully would maybe tell us more about ourselves and and why we are okay. I guess, you know, it, if they do lose that atmosphere, that they're, they're probably not going to develop any life on them because planets, I don't know. I mean, I guess we don't know that much about what it takes for life to exist elsewhere in the universe. We can only go based on what we know about life, which is very, you know, specific to Earth. Um, but we know that life on earth does require some sort of atmosphere we we need something to to breathe whether we're a a plant or um or an organism like like us um and also the atmosphere protects us from a lot of damaging things that the sun um has like uv you know we know that uv is bad for our skin and is is bad for all life really um especially in high doses and our atmosphere stops us from getting a lot of exposure to that. So um, I guess these planets probably are unlikely to develop any life. And that indirectly affects us if we're looking for life. Because um, we're not going to find it there, probably. <laughs> right. Then we can't live there when, like, yeah. 100 years from now. <laughs> 
not a good choice. <laughs> yeah. What is a common myth about your, pro- you know, your profession or field that you want to like debunk for people? Hmm. So many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I guess we touched on the telescope one earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't look down a telescope. Uh, lots of people do use telescopes. Um, but not everyone, and those that do often don't look down them, right? Like the com- they're, they're quite computerized these days. So they kind of get the data collected for them. They don't mm. look down it like you might think of. Um, I guess I also, um, I don't like the misconception that you have to be fantastic at maths to be a physicist um Mm. whether that's in astro or anything else I I don't like that misconception you don't have to be fantastic at maths um obviously a lot of people use maths but you tend to use a very specific bit of maths on a day-to-day basis um Mm -hmm. so I use a lot of calculus I never do any statistical things at all. I barely even deal with percentages. <laughs> so um, I'm not good at stats because I don't, um, I've not had that much teaching in it. And also I don't really understand them. I always struggled with it, but that doesn't matter because I didn't choose to go down that route. Equally, I, I could have chosen to do that, do something more that required that than calculus right so you don't have to be good at maths and you definitely don't have to be good at all maths um because you only use a small bit of it on a a day-to-day basis um and also maths comes with practice it's not something that you are are born being able to do I mean it's uh it comes with practice and if you don't understand something it's probably because your teacher or lecturer or whoever has not explained it very well to you it's not because you uh, are intrinsically incapable of understanding it um so yeah I guess they're the two big ones for me maths and telescopes but (laughs) um I think you just opened a lot of doors for people right there (laughs) yeah Yeah. especially with like knowing that you don't need to know everything in math to do math I feel like some people are like I would never be smart because you know I I don't know how to do all of it and so yeah like I hate stats too I hate it (laughs) I was gonna mention that (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) Haley Haley loves math and is really good at it but statistics is not a math that she enjoys and yeah now Sarah's pretty good at a lot of different maths (laughs) Well, but I don't like trig that much. I don't like trigonometry that much. I don't like shapes. Oh my gosh. I cannot get my head around like any like physical thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what does that look like? I don't understand. And ironically, very, very ironically, my husband hates math to the point where he's like, he's like the poster child for like, get stressed out. I can't do this. Like, but he can and is pretty can do it is pretty decent at trig like what the heck is that what's but, that like, about yeah, I, college algebra is like the biggest struggle for him yeah no just like he obviously is good at math so if he can if he can do trig, <laughs> yeah. right like right. <laughs> right yeah it's yeah uh, math is math is a, a broader term than i think we we mm-hmm. explain that it is i think people think mm-hmm. math and you have to you have to do all of it and it is it helps to be good at algebra no matter what you're doing but yeah, I think there's areas with practice that you can probably fit into if even if you don't fit into the other areas, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Nice to know. Really? Yeah. Um, actually, I, I want to follow up on something from a little while ago. So you said you uh, are a mom now and you have a son or daughter. Yes, I have. A, I have a son. He's, uh, he's almost two. So um, he's at the running around and bumping into everything stage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just like a little planet in orbit. Um, I am wondering, do you think that you're going to draw doodles for him and try to teach him this stuff? Or is it kind of like, oh, he can do whatever he wants type thing? Or are you like making plans? Like, yes, he's going to be a little <laughs> astrophysicist one day. <laughs> 
Well, so his first word was star. So that was successful. That's a <laughs> um, <That's a> <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, I, I, um, I don't want to force him, obviously, to do uh, anything. I think he should find the, the right path for him. Um, I do, with that said, I am quite keen to teach him well, I was going to say maths, but I mean calculus. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, just like I think, um, I think that it's important with things like that where society puts a lot of makes it very easy for people to be like, "I'm bad at maths," blah blah blah. You know, for example, people might say I'm bad at maths, but they wouldn't say like, "Oh, I'm terrible at English. I can't like I'm really bad at like I don't know like I can't read." That's something they would not like want to admit to so easily whereas people are so happy to say they're bad at maths and I find this really strange um like it's okay to be bad at maths but it's like it's shameful to not be good at English or not good at I don't know literature or or reading or anything um and I think like I don't know if I find this really strange and uh also interesting right because I definitely as a kid I was like oh I'm bad at maths and that's okay like I'm terrible at maths that's that's the thing I'm allowed to be and I I wasn't terrible at maths I I wasn't I found it difficult at times like everyone but um I also found English (laughs) difficult at times you know um so I'm, I'm keen to teach him maths from a kind of young age because I want him to not have a hate relationship with it I want him to feel um like comfortable with it but that doesn't mean that he needs to love it if that makes sense I also feel like people if they are like oh I'm bad at math like just math for some reason dictates all of their smartness or whatever so if Mm -hmm. like I'm bad at math then I must be bad at every single subject in school I feel like a lot of kids do that to themselves or or vice versa like oh well I'm the smartest kid at my school because I am an AP calculus you know like I feel like that like goes hand in hand for some reason it's math it's got to be math that dictates this like the smartness of a student that yeah it's definitely wrong I think yeah we have a a very strange relationship I think with like the idea of intelligence and um, smartness and all this kind of thing we tie it very much to STEM subjects Mm -hmm. particularly like the more mathsy the more hard it is and it's it's such a weird relationship that we have going on there between the two things um I don't I don't really like it I think we need to disentangle this I don't have any (laughs) great ideas about how to do that but um yeah it's very strange well I think one of your great ideas so far is starting with your own sphere of influence and that being your son right so I think that's like one way to combat the next generation's fear of math hopefully Um, we'll see (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so how how did this whole thing start then you are now getting a PhD in astrophysics and so how did this start in in your thinking as a young girl of being bad at maths or bad at English or whatever, how did you transition from that student to, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. And then to wanting to mm. a PhD as well. Cause I also, right. yeah, I wanted to learn about like, you know, what you would say to someone considering a PhD. Sure. So I, I guess I always, as a, as a young kid, I liked space. Every young kid ever likes space. It's, um, it's exciting, I guess. Uh, that tailed off as I got older um I kind of thought that I was more interested in chemistry for quite a long time um even through high school until kind of middle of high school I realized actually the bit of chemistry that I liked was the physics (laughs) and so actually (laughs) I liked physics um which was quite a, a revelation for me I guess because um I, I had taken it alongside all the other subjects, uh, all, all the other science subjects I took. Um, but I guess I also had bought into this idea of physics being for boys, um, being hard because it's maths and it's, it's you know, um, whereas 
didn't feel quite the same way about chemistry. I felt it was more, um, my, my chemistry class was a lot more gender balanced and uh, both of the teachers actually in chemistry in my school were, were women. So that was, um, I guess, where I felt maybe a bit more comfortable initially. Um, and then, yeah, I realized it was actually physics that I liked. So that kind of took me down the path of, okay, I'm going to do physics at university. Um, and I always hated experiments. I'm very much not a practical person. I don't have practical skills at all. Um, I mean, I can get by when I need to, but I, I'm, I'm, yeah, experiments are not really for me. So I decided to do uh, theoretical physics for my undergrad. And uh, at this point, I still was a kind of feeling like I wasn't great at maths. Um, felt like I was okay-ish at it, but I guess I felt I was kind of below average in my in my peers in terms of you know people in my university classes and stuff. Um, and the further on in my degree I got, the more exposure I had to maths, the more I realized that there are so many different types of maths and I don't have to be good at everything um, and that I don't need all of them to do physics. Um, and also, I guess by this point, a lot of people in my class were doing experimental stuff. So they were starting to do less maths than me. So I was starting to feel a bit more confident that actually, like I did know stuff and I wasn't, I, I, I guess I felt less pressure from classmates, if you know what I mean. Um, and yeah I guess I accidentally ended up in astro because the the classes that I liked in physics in my later years of undergrad happened to be very applicable to um, astrophysics um, like uh, I liked fluid dynamics and uh, well I liked I did like magnetic fields but I hated electromagnetism um, which I think is very common as well um, so I kind of, I, I did a master's project uh, in astro and then I decided to do my PhD in it as well um, in, uh, in basically the same field. And I guess in terms of the PhD side of things, I knew from quite a, a youngish age that I wanted to do, to do a PhD um, because in high school, one of my chemistry teachers were, uh, had a PhD and she'd gone into teaching after that. Um, she'd worked in industry for a bit first, I think, but I had never heard of a PhD until um, until I met her. So this was my first exposure to the idea that there could be like further study that involved researching and not just sitting exams. And this was in high school. And I kind of followed this idea of wanting to do a PhD um, all the way through my undergrad and the more at university I kind of realized I really did want to do that because I learned more what it meant to do a PhD if that makes sense did I miss anything <laughs> no <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> I think Kaylee would like to to get a master's uh one day and do further study I think I'm just trying to get through these last two weeks before I can ever think about school again and then I don't <laughs> want to think about school for a little while and then maybe in the future I'd like to think about school I actually super randomly know someone um, getting a PhD in Scotland right now. She's she's from the U.S., but she moved to Scotland to start this program and then did not come back. <laughs> she liked it so much. Um, <laughs> she's been out there for about maybe four years now, three years now. She got married and stayed out there. But yeah, that that's like kind of the story that I know about her there's like well, in her case there's a lot of research she's doing an anthropology degree but yeah she was able to just go from the bachelor's here in the U U.S. and then do the, the PhD there in Scotland. All right um, so I think we only have like one maybe two more questions for you if that's okay. Well, my, so my boyfriend, he really likes like astronomy and um, he loves physics. And so I asked him like, what should I ask astrophysicist Rose? And um, so basically we just want to ask like, what's the most like interesting or exciting thing that about astrophysics that maybe people don't know, but specifically my boyfriend wanted to know if you 
know or like or care for anything dark matter related. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, So I guess answering the the last question first, (laughs) I... So I guess, like, I haven't come from a hugely, like, astrophysics background, even Mm. though I am now an astrophysicist, um, which is relatively common throughout the world, I think. But in the UK, there are quite a lot of, I think think it's probably true in the US as well, is becoming more and more fashionable for um, astronomy and astrophysics to be, like, a separate course rather than doing, like, a physics undergraduate you might do. Um, an astrophysics or an astronomy undergraduate so it's becoming more common for people to come into astrophysics already having more background in it than I have if that makes sense um which can give you some level of imposter syndrome sometimes um so I don't know like a huge amount about dark matter um I did take like a general relativity course during my undergrad but I I, it never sparked that much interest for me because I always felt it was um, kind of like a solution that's very much not, it's like a name given to an explanation for something that we can't explain. Mm. Yep. I never felt like I really knew what dark matter or dark energy was supposed to be. And I think that's because no one knows. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, um, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think that that for me kind of I didn't have I didn't feel that excited about it because I felt that that's what it was but it was being kind of sold as this exciting Mm -hmm. I don't know solution but it's not a solution yet really (laughs) (laughs) um so I don't I don't know about it and I'm not maybe that excited by it but it's interesting how excited the general public are by it and that is then catching you know like it's when you speak to people who aren't necessarily um that are just interested in science and they may or may not have that much background in something the stuff that comes up again and again it's it's like it's catching when people are interested in something you start to think oh maybe this is exciting and that's really helpful as a scientist because it can help for like re-spark joy when you're having those moments of like oh I'm not inspired right now um or like this is really difficult and I'm not I'm not feeling it it's it's you know I don't know yeah I think it's a little bit interesting that you label yourself as someone who's like not necessarily a practical person when to me that's such a practical train of thought that you just explained that okay here's this idea that people are getting excited about but it's kind of a label for something that just is the epitome of things that we can't explain so I'm I'm kind of going to focus my energy somewhere else and to me that's such a practical train of thought so I think you are definitely a practical person somewhere in there (laughs) yeah yeah I guess there's maybe more truth in it than I than I thought yeah I'm definitely not practical in a in a hands-on sense I suppose but maybe in a more um I don't know not logical but yeah that's that's a very fair comment (laughs) (laughs) so I think you were going to get into it so what what does excite you what 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 excites you the most um Mm -hmm. about astrophysics here yeah I uh, I don't know I mean I personally I really uh I obviously I love like stellar physics that's how I kind of ended up here but I really like the link back from that to our solar system um just because it feels that like you know we're we're here on earth and we're looking up and we're trying to explain what's going on um in the universe and and our place in it I guess and it's nice when you are kind of you spend a lot of your time focused on that kind of out there to then turn around and and look back in our direction so I guess I really like any sort of link that that there is to our solar system and our past, I guess, and wh- where our solar system might be in the future. Um, I, I find that kind of um, inspiring and, and kind of comforting in a way. Um, 
and just interesting like we I feel like our solar system is quite it seems unique right now and compared to the rest of the universe and I wonder how long that idea is gonna hold up for you know are we gonna find life elsewhere um Mm. are there lots of other solar systems out there that look like ours if not why not um yeah which which bet are you placing bit that I like do you do you think that there is life elsewhere yeah um so (laughs) I guess it depends um is there life in the universe I'd say yes is there complex life in the universe I don't know about that one um I feel like the universe is so big that it feels like there should be because I it it seems it just feels like it would be impossible for us to be unique but once you go down that route it starts to ask there start to be a lot of other questions you know like for us to know about it it has to exist at the right time for us to to communicate with it and it has to exist close enough to us that we could kind of actually receive any signal from them um light takes a very light travels very very quickly right faster than anything else in the universe but everything is so far away that if something is going to take like i don't know a thousand light years to get here and then we reply (laughs) and it's like another thousand years for our message to get there and then they reply and it's like a thousand years more it's like yeah it becomes very difficult to to know if we would actually be able to interact with it you know i don't know Mm -hmm. but right like yeah i would say yeah yeah that see that to me is also like a another very practical train of thought to like just the not only would there be life somewhere else but then if we did find life then how are we going to go about this process of communication with them and uh logistically like how long are things taking i mean everyone's going to be dead by the time we get the reply like that type (laughs) thing so we have to like do this pass down of notes and preserve all these things so yeah, that's really interesting to think about. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even like considered that. Actually, I do have like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna try to be quick because I know you probably have to to get on with things. But I do have maybe a, a couple more questions, um, short ones, hopefully. So we think about like the dark matter as being like something that is not really a concept yet but then we have other concepts like maybe black holes that we can have a little bit better of an understanding of at least generally like what is this and what causes it Mm -hmm. um and then like string theory i think these are things that probably the layman knows like you don't have to be an astrophysics physicist to know this um but are there things phenomenons phenomena like those things that maybe people who are more on the front lines um know but maybe the general public don't know is there something that is talked about in your astrophysicist community that yeah that doesn't get on nova or you know some other pbs program um so i guess it's a difficult question to answer because there's always stuff going on in research communities where you probably don't know about it unless you're in the community, right? So even though I am an astrophysicist, I don't necessarily have a lot of exposure to people that aren't in my field. Um, Like there are opportunities for me Mm -hmm. to go and and listen to talks by cosmologists or whatever, but I don't always, if it's not in your, your research interests, you don't always go because it's taking up time that you might not have. And that's obviously in the pandemic more and more the case, mm-hmm. especially, you know, like I'm at home with a toddler. So the the number of things I can spend my time on is um, obviously reduced. Um, so there will be loads of things out there that the general public don't know about, but also I don't know about as well, right? But mm-hmm. um, I guess like there is a concept for white holes. Um, I don't really know anything about them except that they're kind of like the opposite of black holes and a lot of light comes out of them. Um, That's cool. So I didn't know anything about that. Like, yeah. <laughs> no idea anything about them apart from that. <laughs> um, so I guess that's something. Um, and I guess there's a, 
there's a, a lot of um, random things that people might not know about. So for example, I don't know, I guess in my research area, there's a thing called coronal rain, which is like essentially rain that happens on the sun and presumably on other stars um, okay. where bits of, of hydrogen have kind of condensed into a liquid and then they start falling back towards the surface of the star. So like oh. that's something that I guess people might not have heard of, but is kind of, I guess, common knowledge <laughs> in certain areas of astrophysics. Yeah. So yeah, there's loads of stuff. Yeah, I think those are yeah. two good things that like the curious people listening to our podcast will be Googling <laughs> during. Yeah. During... I already did that. I think I actually threw Nova or some Neil deGrasse Tyson-y type thing. Um, I've heard about the rain, the rain on the sun a long time ago. Um, but the white holes definitely I had not heard of. So that was really neat. Cool. And it's neat to, because mostly when you said that, I was thinking, I was like, are they white? And yeah, they're pretty white. So <laughs> <laughs> aptly named. Yeah, that's really cool though. So yeah, those, those are some good answers, I feel like. Don't get too stuck down the Google, uh, the Google pit of doom where you Google something and then you're stuck there for hours. Like, <laughs> I'll click on this link as well. Oh, Haley and I are no strangers to the clickbait. Yep. We yep. are no strangers. <laughs> Are fun, serious, but like have fun with it, but take it very seriously at the same time. Question <laughs> today is going to be: What would be the worst buy one get one free sale of all time? <laughs> hmm. So, like personally, for me, it's probably like I don't know. I I'm like really bad with like I drink a lot of coffee. I love coffee. So if there's ever like a sale on, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just have like an extra one of them, maybe two, maybe three. Mm. So like things like that, that I'm like, I think I'm going to use a lot of would be really bad because I, I'm generally quite good for not like falling into the trap of these things. But mm. If I do fall into the trap, I fall in really badly, right? So I'm going to end up with loads of them and then I have to like drink them all. So in the case of coffee, I'm then going to be like, I don't know, wired and with palpitations for like the next week <laughs> as I worry that it's going to go off. <laughs> so like something like that would okay, not right. be ideal. It's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think I'm of not... the question like that uh, in that yeah. way. I'm thinking of it in more of a theoretical way. Like, what is something that is kind of good to have one of, but would be really inconvenient to have two of? Oh, I was thinking. How are you it, thinking? How are you I was thinking? thinking of it really inconvenient to have one of, so you have to get two anyways. Like, buy one get one free, uh, one pair, one shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, oh what if you got two of the same side of shoe? Like, what if that was it? Oh. Then that would be so really... once, once uh, my my mom for her birthday was like, oh, I want to go on a hike somewhere. So we like drove all this way to go for a hike, and when we got there, <laughs> she'd packed two of like two uh, left feet of oh, shoes that no. were really similar, but when <laughs> and we could not go for a walk because she was like, it's fine, I'll wear them. She would not wear them. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> See, she hit the wrong sale. She hit the wrong sale. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, that's perfect. Then I think that's what I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna steal yours, Haley, and steal those <laughs> mom's. And I'm gonna say, buy one get one free. But the thing you get free is one of the same sides of shoes. <laughs> And then maybe the other side, you only get the one. So then you have like, yeah, you don't have a full pair of like new Mm -hmm. shoes to to Mm -hmm. switch out. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much, Rose, for coming on. We had a lot of fun. I hope you had a lot of fun learning with us. Um, We had a lot of fun learning from you um, and learning about your PhD and everything like that. Um, I, I don't know, Sarah, I think Rose is also kind of a person that we could we could have a friendship with for sure um (laughs) uh, (laughs) you were very nice to talk to and 
yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I think our listeners will be able to learn a lot from you as well. And I want to, you know, tag your Instagram if that's okay. Um, to let everyone to know, to follow astrophysicist, I think it's underscore Rose, right? Just astrophysicist yeah. underscore Rose. Um, so yeah, go follow her. Um, she does a lot of, I, we saw some different series of things she's done, um, and some good teachings. So yeah, definitely go reach out to her with any of your stellar cloud questions. Yeah. And Rose, again, thank you so much for joining us and thank you podcast listeners for joining us. We hope to see you next time for, I don't know what's coming next, Haley. Do you know what's coming next? I think we've got another guest up our really? sleeves. Okay. I think oh, so. yes, we do have another guest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing track. Okay. All right. See you guys next time. <laughs> Bye, everyone.